Welcome to No Life Fresno. Come with us and meet your neighbors as we dive into the world of Fresno art, music, food, culture, and everything in between. with No Life Fresno. I'm sitting here on a beautiful spring evening after a tiny little bit of rain with Palo Verde Bakery, uh, also known as Natalie Jahanpani, um, and also my wife. Uh, we've been trying to do a little recording for some time now, and <laughs> it's more and more challenging to go out and do one of these things. So it's post-dinner, pre-bedtime. The sun is dwindling, and I'm, I'm here with the lovely Natalie John Bonnie to talk about Palo Verde Bakery. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. A little you, chilly. Yeah. But lovely. Good day. Nice day off. Yeah. Yeah. After what? After a very long week. A mm -hmm. uh, really great week. Um, I did our usual markets uh, Wednesday and Saturday at the farmer's market, the vineyard market, and then did a super, super fucking rad event at Spokeasy Pub, um, partnered with those guys to do a tasting. So they picked some beers, I made some food, um, kind of all inspired by my Iranian roots. And it went super well. Had a great time and then I stayed there and sold some fancy hot pockets <laughs> and some sprinkle cookies because I felt like I needed to have a little birthday theme for someone's anniversary. What's so. a birthday without pizza and sprinkles, right? A shitty birthday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it just wouldn't, wouldn't be right. That was a really fun event, you know, the 8th, ninth, and 10 year anniversary in three days. Yeah, that sounds pretty wild and I, I honestly don't know how they were in such good moods on Sunday because I probably would have been exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds like everything went super well. They said they had like the best day ever on, on Saturday. Oh, Saturday, uh, Saturday yeah, because of Porch Fest. Porch Fest, yeah. That was super fun too. We got to ride around and I mean, you were way more out there than I was, but. Yeah, I was out there for like 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I watched the, the last hall. two shows from the alley of Spokies because I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered to fight the crowds inside. It was insane. Yeah, so. it sounds like a blast though. I was sound asleep at this time because I had to wake up for said you know, event. Sunday morning. Yeah, event, I had to yeah. be up at four to bake everyone's fancy hot pockets and their tomato tarts. But I don't mind. That was that was so much fun and I we've already talked about doing it again. Doing some stuff in October for Oktoberfest. Definitely gonna be pretzel themed. Um, which I'm already like brainstorming and <laughs> getting way ahead of myself. But hopefully we do something else in the summertime. We we're talking about <laughs> doing popsicles or something <laughs> Something good for the... Like the baked bliss. popsicles? <laughs> yes. Baked juice? So like you want Twinkie Pops or like what are you... What are you I don't know. I think we were just... We were just bullshitting. Yeah, but you were all delirious and during that conversation, clearly. Probably. Yeah. And it was super loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to be like, what are you talking about with popsicle conversation? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Well, for, for, for the listeners, if you don't already know or haven't thought about it, if you've been at the market... Uh, any of the markets or when Palo Verde Baker is buying wholesale to all the coffee shops in Fresno basically or at least in the downtown and tower uh, baking and we'll get into this but baking is a grueling job that requires ungodly hours 
to put these tasty morsels in your mouth. So if you're ever wondering uh, why things change uh, in terms of availability and schedules, it's because having a life and being a baker is a hard combination. But we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. So, Natalie, tell us about your relationship with Fresno. I have a pretty interesting relationship with Fresno. I'd say it, it started off pretty rocky. Um, I moved here officially. I, well, I moved, I should go back. I'm from Southern California. I moved to Visalia in July of 2018. 2019. Yes, 2019. Sorry. <laughs> Time does not exist. No. Um, yeah, moved, moved to Visalia and I worked with a friend and we did some hand pie. She had had a business, so I kind of got on board with her for a while and we we did the farmer's market with hand pies and did you know a few other off um like off menu stuff and then what was the name of that business that was baked visalia and that's still going strong i believe kaylee now has a shop uh in downtown visalia which you should probably go check out yeah just off main street next to the barbershop right yeah next to bowling barbershop mm-hmm. actually saw one of bowling brothers this morning or not this morning yesterday morning (laughs) um he got a cookie um anyway yeah so she still has that and i think she does a lot of custom cakes and bagels which is what we did back in la we worked for a little bagel shop together and then you know story as old as time la got too expensive you have a big dog and no one rent to you um so anyway we moved back to we moved up to visalia which is where she's from we hung on to that business for a while and and obviously she took it forward and then um i had met you you know right when i moved here basically and with moving up to fresno in march of 2020 it was not planned but it just so happened that my move date was shelter in place so before i knew it i was moved to fresno i didn't know anybody but you and then of course you know your friends were acquaintances of mine but we couldn't, you know, nobody could see each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, the first few months here it was like once the stay-at-home novelty had worn off was honestly pretty rough. Definitely had some uh, existential tears, you know, uh, every other day. But um, but yeah, I mean, once once I kind of settled into being here and that I was going to be here for a while. I started working on recipes and testing out sourdough recipes um, and that you know that took up most of my time every day so I just kind of dedicated my time to that so with you know that in the context of Fresno moving here initially like, I didn't know anybody I didn't know the city it was painfully hot before I knew it um, but I had started this business and so you know it's been interesting over the last I don't know now two almost two years of owning the business which is basically almost all the time i've been in the city to see how much fresno has to offer um so we went from like being in a really bad relationship um very one-sided where i think fresno was ready for me but i was not ready for fresno to being in a really good relationship and i have a really strong community here and i know you know a lot of other business owners and you know have my own friends and you know, I think my relationship with Fresno is a pretty good one. I mean, it's been it's been very kind to me. And yeah. that's not something I could say about the other cities that I've lived in, for sure. Yeah. 
Well, I, there's a lot of things I want to go back to there. But, <laughs> but to, I, again, to give the listeners a little bit of context, because baking is truly an art. Um, it's not, Thanks. I mean, there is a home baking aspect to it, right? I bake every once in a while and whatnot, <laughs> and it's okay. But when you, when you mentioned at the beginning of COVID, recipe testing, right? What, yeah. what, what did recipe testing mean for you at that time? Um, well, the business started with bread, so I really just put all my force behind making bread and kind of getting my sourdough, my basic sourdough recipe down. And that took about 20 tries. Um, so it was 19 failures. And then like the 20th try was a, a marginal success. So I'll take that. <laughs> and um, every day was, you know, feeding a starter. It was feeding who's now Herman, um, which is the name of my starter and figuring out different flour ratios and different proofing. And so I was in the kitchen every single day for at least, you know, five or six hours, which is how long mm -hmm. it takes to do a sourdough loaf, not yeah. just from start to finish, but just the f day one of, of making sourdough. So it was just a lot of tweaking and, you know, the weather was changing because we were going from spring to summer. And we know that going from spring to Fresno summer is, is rough and that throws you for a loop. So what you think you had down, you know, on April 10th, you know, it's now June 15th and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Like my, my dough is overproofed, you know, where did I go wrong? And then you're starting all over. So, you know, it was waking up every day and, and getting my hands in flour, writing notes. I have, I have probably like four notebooks at this point oh, yeah. filled with recipes, filled with notes, filled with, you know, now prep lists and things like that. But but it was just getting that first loaf down. And then once I did that, you know, I started to riff on it. So I added, you know, what's now a seeded loaf with pumpkin seeds and sesame, and then doing a whole wheat loaf, which is maybe the bane of my existence because it's so whole wheat, 100% whole wheat sourdough is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly flying saucers. They look very flat, but that's okay. They're delicious. Um, but it's still, you know, it's like kind of an ongoing thing. So it's, it's funny to say what home recipe testing looked like then because it's now just recipe testing all the time and you're always kind of fighting like the environment. I don't want to say fighting, but yielding to the environment, yielding to temperatures and things like that. Yeah, it's understanding. It's like, you know, flying an airplane, right? The, if the conditions are wrong, yeah. it becomes very difficult and, and deadly. Not that, I was going to say, I was say slightly, <laughs> there's slightly less pressure making sourdough. Well, I, uh, you know, Herman has exploded. Your starter has exploded. So there's yeah, I, some violent force behind the effort. But... I actually scraped a little sourdough Herman off the wall the other day. It's, still, it's white and our, our blends into our, our kitchen walls. Sorry. So, you know, during, during COVID, you know, the, your, your story is probably similar to a number of people out there, whether mm -hmm. it was pursued professionally or not, but the home baking did see a rise in COVID, right? Um, yeah, it, uh, yes, <laughs> I know. I was trying not to go off your pun. It, I mean, it did, definitely. I think, yeah. I mean, you go on any social media in the first couple months of lockdown, everyone's making banana bread, everyone's making sourdough. And, and you know, and it was great. And, you know, I don't want to sound dismissive or cavalier about COVID, but if you're going to find any kind of silver lining of this really, really awful situation, it's that I think people kind of branched out a little bit and were giving 
home baking a try. People had never made sourdough. Turns out they really love making it. And then, you know, to to even expand on that, you know, people started businesses, case in point. But I know other people started doing delivery services mm -hmm. and doing bread subscriptions where you yeah. could do a porch pickup. So it was contactless pickup. And then it, you know, you still stayed within like the CDC guidelines and weren't putting anyone at risk. And I think, you know, again, it was such a positive thing to come out of a, such a shit situation and kind of creating tighter knit communities in your street of leaving sourdough out on the porch and yeah. people being able to help themselves or I mean or, you made deliveries or, on a bicycle right I like, did yeah, I would deliver to yeah our friend in uh up on Van Ness and I would ride my little my little 1970s Peugeot up to <laughs> uh up to his house and drop off bread and you know you're kind of in this position of you know, recipe testing, but also trying to get it out there for people to taste and mm -hmm. see if it's even like worth selling. Yeah. Um, because it's one thing to give you my bread. You're always going to say it's good <laughs> unless it's truly bad. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, but it was a way to also for me, because I was felt so isolated. It was just me and you and you were working and yeah. it's me, the cats and the dog and to get out and like see people's faces without obviously, you know, putting ourselves at risk. Yeah. So it was, it was really helpful for me to bake and also to have a focus every day because sitting and watching Netflix documentaries, <laughs> I mean, it's only so entertaining. Doom scrolling on, oh, on the state God, of the world so at much, that point, right? So I much mean, doom so much scrolling, well, so much needlepoint, yeah. <laughs> which well, I now don't have time for. But. Yeah, right. Uh, well, the, re the reason I bring up the, you know, the pandemic, obviously it's big and, and you know, that you're not the first person who's, who's gotten a business off the ground in the pandemic, even in this podcast, but, um, being a home baker and being a professional baker hmm. is there there's a massive amount of difference from that right and so where where did you get to where you are today because it wasn't just covid and baking bread at home right no, so tell us a little bit about your history in in baking definitely not um so i started baking i don't want to say a fluke but it's not really where i'd seen myself going i had i went to college i went to ucla I was I graduated right before I turned I think 27 uh, so that was 2013 and I really didn't have a direction I had applied for some nonprofit work um, with AIDS Lifecycle which would have been wonderful to work with they did not give me a job um, but I ended up just getting a job at Whole Foods to kind of figure out what I was doing um, and this was I don't know if I said this was in Southern California this was in Claremont particularly that I found a small pie shop that was hiring for prep cook. And I remember seeing the sign and thinking like, oh, that would be fun to make pies every day, you know, not knowing anything about working in a commercial kitchen. Um, and so I applied and they gave me a front counter position since I didn't have any experience. But eventually, I mean, if you know me, I'm really stubborn and really persistent. Uh, Christian rolled his eyes right now, just have to clarify. <laughs> um, and so eventually I found myself getting a day a week, you know, in the kitchen, um, just doing prep. So I was, you know, making pie filling, you know, like our, our chocolate chest filling um, and doing, you know, putting together pies in the morning and, <clears throat> excuse me, bringing up the rear. But eventually I was full time in the kitchen. I became the pie dough maker for the entire shop, which was really cool and also very tedious. I'd make like 30 batches of pie dough, 
you know, on a Sunday morning and... Okay, uh, just real, real quick, when you say 30 <laughs> batches of pie dough, I think so, most people think yeah. 30 pies. No, that's not 30 pies. That's like, um, that would be, it's hard to say. We made these little like cupcake size pies, like they fit into like a ball jam, like a ball jar mm-hmm. that you need for jam. Um, but each batch, gosh, it was at least like 10 or 15 pounds of dough. Yeah. So I would make, you know, make that all morning and just kind of like, pounds of dough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would wrap it and stick it, you know, in the fridge and then they would press it and they had these really cool, like custom made dyes in this dye machine. It was a pie press. And so this, you know, one guy would take a tin he'd put a, a portioned out piece of dough and then he would pull it down and it was, I think it was hydraulic. And it would press the dough into these little cylindrical tints perfectly every time. Yeah, uh, it's also a terrifying piece of equipment because yeah. you just keep imagining, yeah. you know, your little finger pie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your little pinkies. <laughs> yeah. um, who needs those? Um, but anyway, yeah. So I was making, you know, like hundreds of pounds of dough, you know, every week, and then eventually, you know, I ended up moving away from Claremont. And I moved up to Oakland just to, you know, I never lived outside of Southern California. And I got a job up there. I worked at two different bakeries up there, um, Batter Bakery in San Francisco, which, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of. It's really small, but we churned out so much product there. And I mean, high quality product. It was, you know, it was geared towards American sweets. So lots of muffins and cookies and we did ice cream sandwiches and uh, brownies and things like that but we did a lot of wholesale so there were two bakers every day and I, I started as a baker assistant so I prepped all the ingredients I would you know package things for orders and whatnot and god that place just like was a machine um so I worked there for a little while just kind of getting you know again I was like wet behind the ears I didn't know yeah I really didn't know much about baking still and and at this point I had started to do things at home so I was making you know the tartine bread book which is looked at as like, you know, one of the pillars of, yeah, of bread it's baking. Bread, it's a bread Bible. It like, is. Yeah, know, it's a bread Bible. And Any restaurant you go to that makes bread has that book yeah. somewhere on the shelf, you know. Yeah, or the, or the Tartine Pastry Book and, you know, Chad Robertson and Elizabeth Pruitt are, you know, big names in the baking world, which, I, you know, I say, if you don't know anything, I suggest you look up. But anyway, so I'd worked at Batter and then I ended up at, um, I couldn't do the commute anymore and so I ended up over at Firebrand Bakery which is a huge bread bakery now wood fired and that place was incredible um, they did you know German rye sourdough and uh, tons of pretzels and hala but they also expanded into pastry and so again the amount of product we were putting out was just totally nuts Yeah, we're at home. We've got two dogs, and it's 7.30 in the evening, and uh, it's drunk baby time, as we like to say around here. <laughs> uh, our youngest dog gets very excited about nothing um, all evening long here. So anyway, where, where were you? Oh, so I was talking about Firebrand. So I got a job there working as a bread mixer. So every day at 4.30, 4.30 in the morning, I went in and I mixed anywhere between like 600 and 800 pounds of sourdough bread and that was like the whole shift there was no time for anything else because you're making between five and six batches you know 150 to 200 pounds each and or you know 
do the math for however that's supposed to work out. Um, and this humongous mixer, you're mixing it, you're putting it in the bowl, you're getting your water and your flour in, but then you had to remove it all by hand. So you're pulling out all that dough so that it could sit for an hour during its phase called autolyse. And then you're putting it back in the mixer to mix in the sourdough starter. So it was pulling hundreds of pounds of bread dough in and out of the bowl. And after six months of that, your body is wrecked. And I remember talking to my boss, the, the owner at the time, and he had, he had said, you lasted like pretty long time. Usually people only last about five months. And I said, yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm pooped. Um, so then I, I stayed on there and I did some night shaping. So I was shaping pretzels. I was shaping challah buns and bread rolls or like French bread rolls. And I mean, really any anything I was shaping. And I was working with a team of six guys and they had been doing this for like 15 years and I was just getting smoked by these guys. I For every like one roll I did, they were probably doing three. They were just so fast. And that place was really important for me to be at because I had really no bread experience at this point. I had just worked at a pie shop and worked at this you know, pastry shop. And this was really the time where I realized how much I loved making bread and also taught me like what hard work was. That was probably the hardest job I've ever had. It's probably the, going to be the hardest job I've ever had in my whole life. Um, and that was where, sorry? That was Firebrand, Firebrand. in Oakland. Um, they're still around, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So they actually looked them up the other day. They've expanded. And their bakery looks, it's still the same facility, but I think they're opening like a second facility in Alameda. And they're getting into like grocery stores with like packaged sandwich loaves. I mean, they were in Whole Foods and... That was part of why we were doing so much volume is we were in the the bay area whole foods i think it was like eight or ten of them so you could get fresh pretzels every day you could get fresh baguettes oh, every wow. day and, and it was a credible product it and, was and that's like the delicious. peak of baking right like to an extent like firebrand is an example of like yeah how far you can go yeah i mean to be getting into a nationally a national chain grocery store is huge and to be able to to keep up with that scale. I mean, it was, we definitely had some rough days there. Uh, find me a bakery that hasn't though. Um, but I mean that, to get into that position, I mean, they, the owner, his name is Matt Krutz. I believe that's how you say it. Um, and he, I mean, that guy, I don't think he'd ever taken a day off. I, th I remember asking him one night, I said, when was the last time you were off? And he said, I haven't had a night off in seven years, which is nuts because he baked overnight. And that's like, to me, that's pure dedication. That's just yeah. bonkers. But I mean, but that's what it takes, you know, to get into places like Whole Foods, to get to get to that scale. And that place was cool, too, because they hired people who had been previously incarcerated. They didn't go through the normal background checks and, you know, all the stuff, the hoops that most people have to go through to get hired. They just hired people for being people, not for their past. And I and I really, really respect that. Um, so yeah, so I was there, gosh, I think I ended up being there for seven or eight months in total. And then I ended up back at Batter, um, after, after that place and I became operations manager. So I was doing kind of a mix of baking and kind of a mix of, a mix of baking and a mix of wholesales and I was managing our wholesale accounts and taking our special orders and doing special events. So I was kind of wearing every hat at this point. Yeah. Um, 
And I really liked that position. And it was, that was also, you know, hard in a different sense. It wasn't so physically taxing, but it was a lot of like mental juggling. And I think that probably is what best prepared me for owning a business because you realize that you're not just going to be in the kitchen every day. You're going to be answering emails and posting on social media and, you know, wholesale orders, doing, and, yeah, yeah. handling your wholesale orders and deliveries and, you know, yeah, all, and I, all, or yeah. not getting deliveries, yeah. and, you know? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That's definitely very real. Um, yeah. So I was, and then I was there, um, for about, I think I was there for about eight months. Um, and then I, I left, I was married at the time and my partner died, unfortunately. Um, so I left that job and moved back home and kind of took a break from everything. And then, you know, after so long, I got back into baking and became a bread baker again at Poppy Cake in Sierra Madre, uh, which is close to Pasadena, if you're not familiar with Southern California. And that place was wonderful too. It was really small, mom and pop. It was owned by a couple, a chef and a pastry chef. and. And that was a really great place for me to kind of get back into baking, get back into the groove because it wasn't super high volume. I mean, we were busy, but we weren't, we weren't churning out, you know, 3000 loaves of bread. Like we were at Firebrand, we were doing, you know, 80 loaves of bread a day and then, you know, pastries. And, and that's really where I got to learn how to make croissants. And, you know, if, and if you've ever been to the market, you know, that croissants are probably, you know, 60% of what I sell at this point. So I learned to laminate and I learned kind of the finer finesse of pastry making and, you know, and I still did things like mixed brownies and, and all that stuff. And, um, and then I ended up at Bell's Bagels and I did bagels there. And then that was kind of the last job. That was the last time I really worked for anybody. And I, I think I made about 60 or 70,000 bagels there. And I, I don't miss the repetitive aspect of that because I definitely had some nerve damage after so long. <laughs> but I really loved working there. I mean, it was a it was a fun place to work, and we had you know we did have quite a bit of autonomy as long as we got our work done. And and yeah, and I mean that kind of started my bagel love affair. I mean, every time we travel, we hunt down bagels. Hunt down bagels. We yeah. hunt down pastries. We oh, hunt down coffee. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's any food that we don't hunt down. For better, for worse. <laughs> so yeah, and then you know, before I knew I was in Visalia with Baked, and then here I am now with Palo Verde and previously Little Wind Bakery, and and this is it. I mean, it's not its final form, but as far as names, I think we, <laughs> names are good. Yeah. I think we're set. <laughs> so that's my that's the, the if you can believe it, that's an abbreviated version. An abbreviated. Of my, of my baking work history, but that's about nine years of baking in there, yeah. and uh, and a short break, you know. But that's that's what got me here. So with the the cliff notes of your resume there for us, um, obviously a lot goes into getting to a professional level mm-hmm. of baking. Yes. And in that, I'm sure many mistakes are made. <laughs> yes uh What's, luckily most of them are delicious yeah of course right they, they still taste good but it's, yeah. it's both the taste and looks right mm-hmm. so tell us about the most embarrassing or the worst oh, mistake that you made in all of this because mistakes can oh. be costly um 
they can also just be humiliating and embarrassing and not cost much at all. But what's, I mean, you're laughing already. What's the worst? There's just so the, many to choose from. Yeah, right? Pick a card, any card. Um, gosh, and it's like, how much embarrassment do I want to put out there for listeners? Let's take the worst one. I mean, clearly oh, there's, yeah. you've scaled them, so. Yeah, I mean, there's a, okay, there's a few that come to mind. I mean, do you want in the business or are you talking like when I worked for other people? Both? Well, one does Choose definitely one come... one of all of those, yeah. One comes to mind, and I think it was just... It's such a simple mistake. I made... Um, at Poppy Cake, I mixed bread, and I, and I was a, a bread baker. So some mornings I was on the oven, some mornings I was just mixing all the types of sourdough and, and baguettes. And I left the salt out of the baguettes... Which, if you're not familiar with bread without salt, it's basically like baked paste. It's disgusting. Um, or if you're unfortunately on a low-sodium diet, you understand what that's like, which I really hope that's not the case. But, um, but yeah, and I remember walking in the next morning. So a, a customer had called, like a regular. We had this woman who would come in and get a baguette every day for her family. She was German. So, you know, it was like their staple. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Um and she called and, the, and she said, you know, they just didn't taste right today. And sure enough, I think my boss went and tasted one. And, you know, the next day I walked in at like 5 a.m. And she was there. And I, and I love her. I have so much respect for her. And I, she walked up to me and, you know, said good morning. And I said, hey, hey, Brittany. And she said, you didn't put salt in baguette dough. And I don't know if I understood. I just like stared at her like deer in the headlights. And I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, just don't do it again. But I remember being so, it like ticked off this like baking anxiety to the point where I would like triple check every single recipe. Like, does it have salt? Does it have, you know, the right flowers? Does it have, you know, X, Y, Z? And yeah, I was, I don't know if it was embarrassing, but I think it was just like a realization of how quickly you can mess things up. And I'm sure I'd messed things up at other bakeries before then. Yeah. But, but I think because I had so much like a healthy mix of respect, fear, and enjoyment of like being working for this boss, that it just like set me over the edge of like being a little neurotic. Um, But I mean, even in the business, I've had some like pretty embarrassing moments, you know, not, and I mean, there are things that that seems like a common mistake. Salt, no salt in the bread. I mean, give us some juicy, juicy. hot (laughs) gossip here. What was the worst mistake the juicy. most embarrassing. I don't know if I. I mean, okay. How ju How juicy can it get? Like I for I. Okay, here's one. I mean, if you overhydrate the dough, right? I mean, it's you can. Juicy. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, almost literally. Yeah. Um, you can. Okay, so here, I make cheese crackers at Christmas. Yeah. And those cheese crackers sell so fast. I cannot make enough of them, and nobody understands how tedious these things are to make because you have to roll the dough like an eighth of an inch thin and then you have to cut them all scoop them onto a tray it takes they're they're so delicious they're worth it but man they they are pain in the ass and it was the day i think you had called me and someone had ripped off the catalytic converter on the truck yeah and which this is where i'm like come on fresno come on but um i was so distracted by that that i had messed up the recipe so i had (laughs) I had spent all this time like rolling out, cutting all these tiny cheese at size crackers, 
put them in the oven. And this was also context. It was Christmas. So I was like exhausted, burned out, overworked. And when I opened the oven doors after I put them in, it was just like a giant sheet of cheese and spices because I hadn't put the right flour in. I had put too little flour. So it basically became this giant cheese, like not even a cracker, just like melted cheese flap. Did you eat it? I only ate so much of it before, you know, your stomach hurts. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm just eating straight cheddar cheese and paprika and cayenne pepper, and it's delicious, but like, you know, we're, I have a boundary. Um, so, I mean, that wasn't embarrassing so much as it was. I remember I was so frustrated. I had to like walk outside and just stand there in the silence. And I think I may have called you just like. I remember the photo, yeah. <laughs> just like at my wit's end and I think you know I think we've all been there just it's like something goes wrong and you just needed that one thing to really like tip you off oh yeah and you're like I'm done it's like I'm literally gonna throw in my towel and go home and never bake anything again but um but yeah I mean that's probably the most recent recent one that really sucked that just sucked so a tray of melted cheese is, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? No, it's still cheese. I mean, it's delicious. I mean, when you're trying to make something and it turns into a puddle of cheese, that's, you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and it's just, it's it's always just like the loss of ingredients. I mean, it's the cost, of course. You're just like wasting money. But I really hate wasting food and wasting ingredients. And there's only so much you can do with a giant sheet of melted cheddar cheese. Other and it, than eat it until your stomach hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of a weird thing to give away. Like, hey, I messed these crackers up. Do you want sheets of cheese? Do you want a cheese sheet? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, it's not the worst thing. It's just painful. I don't know if I've ever, like, put out anything that was truly disgusting. You know, I mean, God help me, I have it that I've known of. Um, but it's just, it's always for me just, like, the wasting of stuff and and the time and effort I put into something to find out that it's like gross. I, oh, actually, now that we think of it, I was testing out pies last summer, I think. It had to be last summer. And I really wanted to do a nectarine, like buttermilk custard pie, which in theory sounds so delicious. And if you know, I make a custard pie with buttermilk and I make, yeah, I've made a blueberry lavender pie that was really tasty. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just use like the same filling and do it with nectarines. It was maybe the worst thing I've ever made in my life. It was so <laughs> disgusting. And I don't think anyone ever saw it. I think I tested it on a day where I was working alone or maybe with Megan, who's a, who was a previous baker with me. But it was like, I don't know, the butter had melted out of it and the nectarine got like really weird and like the filling like curdled. It's a completely it, failed experiment. It was it was horrendous. And I think I posted on my personal Instagram was like, this is what happened. Like, sometimes you just make things so gross yeah. that you're like, should I even be in this profession anymore? Well, I mean, you guys are, <laughs> you, bakers are essentially scientists and chemists on some level, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it is, it, yeah. it's, it's like any tiny mistake can yeah. ruin something, right? Yeah, and I, I remember I was in a... I took, you know, like home ec. We called it nutrition yeah. in high school, but I mean, I don't know. It was not nutritious. We made waffles and um, I had to make like a cake at home or something. And I think I had put in like triple or quadruple the amount of baking soda. 
which is a really disgusting mistake. It makes your food taste like metallic and almost like minerally. Minerally, yeah, like like effervescent. Yeah. I don't know how else to yeah, put yeah, it. Yeah, I just remember it had this like weird, like fizzy feeling in my say, mouth. Yeah, yeah. And I and somehow I got a B on it. I think the the teacher just felt bad. But it it's so easy. You would think like oh, well, instead of doing half a teaspoon of baking soda, how bad could it be to do one and a half or, or one? It can be pretty bad. I mean, it it can affect the flavor. You know, it affects the texture. And I think a lot of it, too, is it's not necessarily that your food's always going to be gross if you mess up certain measurements or that your, your baked goods, rather. But it's just not going to be the texture you're looking for if you're trying to get a, a soft, cakey cookie and you don't put enough flour you know, if you put too much butter, you're going to get something thin and crispy. Maybe that's not what you're going for. So it's it's just a lot of tweaking. And I and I think that's why, you know, you tend to find people who are very, like, type A in baking. I mean, it's true it because is, yeah. it, it's so technical. You know, baking cookies at home is super fun. But when you're baking it on a mass scale and other people are going to eat it and you're basically handing off, like, your craft to somebody else to eat it's nerve-wracking and you want everything to be perfect and when it's not perfect you tend to fall into this pit of self-loathing which might just be me but um i'm kidding um but you know it's it is a lot of chemistry and i saw an apron once that said baking is science for hungry people and i've kind (laughs) of held on to that as long as i've been baking because it is true it's just you know it's just a matter of putting you know, vinegar and baking soda together and and seeing what happens and science. Science. Yeah. A volcano. <laughs> That's what you put in your volcano to make it yeah. bubble over and in your, your third science grade class. science project. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's what you put into baked goods to make them bubble and, and rise yeah. and it's all the same concept, so well, you know, mistakes aside and, and those are, are bound to happen in, in any profession and in baking it might might be a little more dramatic uh, like a, a, a sheet of melted cheese but I, I know that built just based on the bookshelf of baking books in our <laughs> living room and the amount of research and things that you do and the, the places that you you visit on travels and those things there's got to be something that just sticks out in your mind as the, the most creative the most delicious the most perfectly executed from any other baker any travel that you've had what's one thing that you would send everybody to go get gosh it's like picking your favorite child i mean i've been pretty privileged to eat at some wonderful restaurants and and bakeries around the country or at least on the coasts and things um gosh you know what's one that sticks out to me and it i have to say it's also about where you're eating it and the context too you know and i had um i had a brownie with tahini and halva i'm not you know i'm not the first person to do that it was from violet bakery in london and who that that bakery actually made the cake for megan and and harry if you're into the royals (laughs) um i'm not but i was into the cake um, and I remember, you know, taking this long bus journey to get to this bakery and I was alone in London and, and I remember sitting on their little back patio and it was 
absolutely gorgeous and eating this brownie, which sounds so, you know, like whatever, you can get a brownie anywhere, but it was so delicious. And I'd never had tahini. I never had halva. I'd never, I mean, at least not in that context. I'd had it other places, but, but it was so good. And I just thought like, this is such a simple tweak on a, on a classic recipe and it is, it, it's magic. It's, it's delicious. And, you know, especially when in that context of the patio and being alone on this trip, it was just mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, but I mean, I've had so many good things. I had a, like a peach, almost like peach pie or peach cobbler, but it was super fancy from a public, which is down in LA, had that for dessert. And I was out with my sister and a friend and that was, that was wonderful. Um, and then I had a really great biscuit from St. Beatrix, which is up in Portland. Oh yeah. I think that was a rye butter rye biscuit with like a berry compote or like a raspberry jam on the side. And you would think that I can remember the jam since it was like such a standout thing to me, but I just remember how flaky it was and it was like very savory and salty. And that place, I mean, I think I got one of everything at the bakery that morning and I just kind of snacked on stuff for the the next couple of days and I don't think they had one bad thing. You know what sticks out now? Sorry, now that I I think about it, they had like a golden milk I was a golden milk bread pudding and I think it had some chocolate and like raspberries in it and I remember we both ate that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, oh yeah. And we were like, holy shit, like I would never think to put these things together but it's so good. And it's just a rad little spot i mean i think they're expanding now to have like indoor service and super cute seems like super great owners and yeah if you're from portland i highly highly suggest going to saint beatrix but i mean again i've been super lucky to eat you know really great croissants i've been to tartine a whole bunch of times especially when i lived up there and and i just i've had you know so many good things that i don't think i've had anything that was like terrible So, I mean, I think everyone should just get out and go to a bakery, go to San Francisco if you can. If you're in the position to go to L.A. and just try places Mm -hmm. because it's going to open your mind. You're going to understand food a little bit more. And I think, you know, it's an art form that everyone should be exposed to. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I I appreciated baked goods uh, before we met, Um, but traveling and, you know, I highly suggest on the, on the same note, you know, go into a town and look for the smallest bakery, mm-hmm. look for the smallest coffee shop, yeah. look for the, the, the place that's, uh, you know, not in a strip mall that's in the back of a, somebody's house or, you know, any of those things. And you're always going to find something fabulous. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, in traveling, especially when you're in small towns, mm-hmm. like I feel like those are the best places Almost every town, small town, has a baker. Yeah, at has, the very least, right? it has a bakery, and I think it's always worth checking out because you never know. It could be like some sleeper hit that you don't, you know, in mm-hmm. Kansas or in Oklahoma. You know, who knows what's out there? And I think that's kind of the beauty of traveling is it's not just you know seeing the sights. It's like what do we, what do you eat here? Like what is your what is your region's baked good like West I think it's West Virginia they do like pepperoni rolls Mm -hmm. and that's like a huge thing and I'm dying to go try one I'm not (laughs) even much I don't eat that much meat anymore but especially especially pepperoni um so but that's that's the stuff you should be yeah so for for some people that want to dip dip their toes a little bit there's this place that we went to 
north of here, little coffee shop. We sat on the patio. Um, we got coffee, we got baked goods, we have breakfast out there. It's part of a motel, bed and breakfast. The name is not coming to me right now. You I, yeah, no, I'm looking at you just as dumbfounded. No. North of here. It, we were up in the, the foothills somewhere along, along the river. Um, there's a little bed and breakfast, a hotel. There's a coffee shop and a bakery. We got some cookies. We got some things. You stood and talked to them about baking forever. Not too far away from here. Please help me out Oh, here. my God. I have no idea what you, you're talking about. What? It's about a 45-minute hour drive away from here. You took us there. It's a little teeny coffee shop with a little motor hotel surrounding it. We sat on a big patio. Oh my God. We're going to have to uh, annotate this, uh, yeah, this I podcast um, episode because... Oh! Yes, please. Oh, thank God. Sticks. 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 Thank you. So for it's for a mariposa. Mariposa. Okay. Yes. So for those, oh, for those of you, oh thank God, I remember that. Thank you so much. I thought I was <laughs> have to run out, just jump through a window and run away forever. Um, <clears throat> for those for for people that are listening Not that want dramatic. that experience and that encouragement from from Natalie and Palo Verde here to get out and explore those local bakers, this is a, a, oh, a yeah. less than a day trip away. Yeah. In, a, in a small town of twenty thirty thousand that has a beautiful it's a beautiful experience it, and it's beautiful food and I, I like I'm in, almost embarrassed that it took me that long to think of it yeah. um, I'll just blame your your references Wow. <laughs> um. no it it sticks coffee roasting mm-hmm. and it's run by uh, I believe it's a married couple and I think their names are Zach and Kelly I believe because so. I remember thinking like oh like Saved by the Bell uh, <laughs> super 90s but sticks um, yeah, that place, God, that place is so rad. Not only is their coffee just so good. I remember we got like a couple bags. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. And they do, I think they make, not I think, I know they make their sourdough and they do, I believe Zach, the the guy was like hand laminating croissants yep. and they make all their baked goods from scratch and they have like little kids too. Like, I don't know how people do this stuff with kids. Um and it, yeah, that place was rad, and it was in such a cute area. And we went for a long walk mm-hmm. down at the river. And yeah, how do you remember now? Yeah, uh, that yes. Now <laughs> I, I totally remember that. That was a great. That was a great day. Um, but yeah, I mean that stuff. It that's a perfect example of a hidden gem of, of why you have to get out to the small like mountain towns or, really just anywhere. I mean, I went to, uh, New York, and I don't, I can't even remember everywhere I went. But I remember just like popping into places and like mm-hmm. getting a cup of coffee or like, you know, I went to some of the bigger places like Dominic Ansel, which is where I think the cronut came from. But, you know, it's like that stuff is fine. It's fun. It's it's touristy. It's but novelty. Baking. It's it's novelty. It's like yeah. I have to go. I'm a baker. Of course, I'm going to go try. But it's like, give me the like, give me the bodega with like the bagel on the back. You yeah. know, it's probably mess me. But like, I want your sandwich because I want to see what you're like bodega sandwich is like or you know i i really realize how much as i get older like i appreciate the little hole in the wall places so much more um not just in general but more than going to like the fancy bigger names Mm -hmm. like you know me i love a a good fancy dinner i love a you know 18 dollar cocktail just as much as anybody else (laughs) but i I really prefer like where do the locals eat? You know, what's yep. your what's your day to day staple? Like I'm going to uh, Kentucky in June for a, a bread retreat, 
and she's so excited for with uh, Tara Jensen um, and I'm interested in like what do people eat in Johnson City which is where I'm staying mm-hmm. until I catch my shuttle I, I want to know that stuff like what are the com- you know I don't say common folk I mean just your everyday yeah, yeah. meal fuck Yelp fuck Google yeah. fuck any of this stuff fuck Yelp it, so hard anytime you go to uh, you go to a small town go ask people <laughs> Ask people on the street. Mm-hmm. Ask people at the gas station. Ask people in the grocery store. Ask Reddit. Ask Reddit. Reddit's and a even, great even place. Even Reddit's a great place. But talk to the people there yeah. first, you know? And they're going to point you in that direction. Yes. Sometimes it's horrible. But it's the best they know. And it's nobody's fault, right? But sometimes you get these amazing little places, too. And I say horrible because I'm a snob. But um, <laughs> it's still good. It's not like I'm getting poisoned. But, you know. It's... <laughs> no, but, but I think that's... That's true. I mean, I was in uh, Bishop, like, I mean, God, it was like almost probably a decade ago now. And I don't know if it's still there, but I remember this Mexican restaurant I ate at. And I remember this, like, giant bean burrito that was so good. And they put the salsa on the table with, like, in these little crafts or something. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows this, please shoot me a DM because <laughs> I would love to go back and eat there. But I that's the stuff I remember, like, that sticks with me or, like, the... The, when we were in Vancouver, we ate at some, at a like a dumpling or dim sum restaurant with our friends, and was it like Jade, dim sum or something? Uh, yeah. In Chinatown, and it was you know. Yep, Jade Dynasty. Jade Dynasty. Yeah. God, that food was so good. Like yeah. that's, and, that's and what I want to eat. Bakery in Nam Pen, and you know, the, yeah. the millions oh, of places that, that are that are local. Yeah. Know? That yeah, absolutely, and. And like you said, I mean, going and talking to people. And so when people come to Fresno, like we got we got married a month ago and we had lots of out of town guests and we gave them or I mean, I should say you gave them a long list of places to go. <laughs> but it's like that's where people are going to eat good diner food. Go to Al's down on Olive, oh, which, yeah. you know, is our mainstay for brunch or, or we'll for, Sandy for breakfast. Soon, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that place is great. You can get in and out in like 30 minutes and the food is solid and. You know, B&K here, which is like our go-to oh, yeah. takeout. And it's not just like, oh, fast takeout. It's good food. It's like mm. good food made with people, by people yeah. who care about making good food and representing their food properly. And that's that's really what I care about is not how much money you make, how recognized you are. I really don't give a shit about that stuff for the most part. But... Is it's the, like is the passion there but it's uh, yeah is the passion there do you take time to make it properly are you you know not every place of course sources their ingredients locally for a number of reasons and that's fine but like that's important to me and that's what yeah. i do is you know i go i shop at the farmer's market for everything that's going to go into your quiche and your scones and stuff like that but it's taking that time to know what you're doing and to care about what you're giving people because it really is i mean feeding people is like a very intimate act and absolutely and it's very it's it's how you love somebody well you, it's, yeah I and mean, you 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 know talking to carlos a few weeks ago with moto yeah I and mean, that that was oh, his that was bridge great. to food was a bowl of menudo yeah know, from the neighbor while he's working in a clothing store you know yeah like it is intimate it's yeah it is and it's like taking the time to cook something for somebody and I know you know it's it's different when you're making it and you're selling it and I've kind of lamented this to you and and lamented this in general is like you kind of lose that charm but 
But I think now, you know, especially now that I've kind of like downsized, you know, which, which is not really what I thought I would be doing. But now that I am, I realize how much more I can kind of take that time with what I'm making. And, you know, and we were before, I mean, it was Megan and I mostly, and now we have, we had Emily as too doing part-time work, but, but now I'm, I'm doing everything on my own. So it's slower you know, the menu might be smaller, but I feel like I get to give you exactly what I want to give you and what I th hope is going to make you happy. And even that's really all you can ask for, right? It's, it's keeping that charm of, of making a, a well-made pastry and handing it over and, you know, money aside, it's like, I'm giving you this thing to take home and eat. And hopefully you're eating it with somebody you love, or you're sharing it with your, your kid or your friend or, Maybe you're sitting outside in the in the sun and eating a croissant and a cup of coffee on your day off. Like that's that's the ideal situation in my head. Or yeah. you know, or maybe it's the thing you eat before you rush off to work. I mean, whatever whatever floats your boat. But you just want that thing to to give someone something positive for their day. Maybe they've had a real shit day. Yeah. And they're like, well, at least I have this, yeah. you know, this good croissant or this morning bun or yeah. or, or whatever. And food will do that. For anybody, no matter where it's coming from, there's, there's, yeah, there's sentimentality and, and comfort from food. So, with with the the mention of so many Fresno businesses, um, what what do you like about Fresno? Considering your your sorted past and the the hard start with COVID and all that, what do you love about um, Fresno? Gosh, I mean, I really love that there's so much opportunity here, and I think that that it's really kind of endless because we all know, you know, Fresno has, has a lot going on, especially now that COVID is, you know, I'm not going to say over, it's definitely not over, but now that things are opening back up, there's a lot of stuff to do. You know, we just had Porch Fest and we just had Fres Yes and, and events. And, but I think as far as being a business owner, I mean, you can open a business here and it's not LA, the, the competition it's not even that there's no competition it's that it's more community-based and i think that's what stuck out to me the most about fresno you know being in big cities you don't get that small town situation yeah. you don't get to have that camaraderie with other business owners even if they're in a similar industry as you you know like i know allison from bread room bakery and I buy her bread because, as we all know, I haven't been making bread lately. Um, and she does a wonderful job. And yeah, and she does a killer job. And it's like someone had had made a comment about it being competitive, or you know, that's my competition. And I corrected her and I said, no, like this is a community. Like we're bakers, we do the same thing. We have commiserated on her front her front lawn and <laughs> about you know the woes of of baking and and all those things, but. When I think of Fresno, I think of community and how supportive all these, you know, downtown businesses are. And, you know, I think uh, Brian from a friend of yours had mentioned like Root and how supportive they are. And I know Carlos over at Moto's, you know, super rad guy, super fun and and has always been supportive, you know, of me and just other businesses. And I think that's, you know, when people shit on Fresno and, you know, I'm not I'm not immune to that either from time to time. They don't see that because it's not, you know, the coolest restaurant. It's not the coolest fill in the blank. It's that stuff you have to be here to experience. And yeah. until you're in, until you're in the city and you 
make that effort to get to know people, you don't understand how much community and how much support there is here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing I love. I mean, I love we're two hours from San Francisco, you know, two and a half hours from San Francisco and two hours from the coast. I mean, we really do have it pretty good and the Sierras are right here. I yeah. mean, it's, it's kind of pick, you know, pick your poison for that day. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and in that, you know, talking shit on Fresno and we all have our bad days and, and, you know, the grass is always greener yeah. no matter where you, where you are, but what do you think? What opportunities do you see for Fresno? What do you think Fresno can do better? How do you think we can grow as a community? I'm, you know, I think Fresno, I think, it's nothing I see on the part of like the, the residents here, of the, obviously of the community I just mentioned, but I, I do wish the city itself was a little bit more progressive, you know, not just in terms of politics and, and you know, the large issues we all debate, but just in terms of the vision for the city of trying to facilitate more businesses opening here and making it a little bit easier to open a business. Because if you've opened a business here, you know, it's it's pretty tough, you know, it can be. And I think, you know, really trying to get the city, I don't want to say cleaned up, but just taken care of. And I mean, and I mean that not just in like filling a pothole, I mean, taking care of its citizens. We have a huge unhoused population in Fresno. And, you know, we we live on the west side of Fresno and we're surrounded by it. And it's it's really, like, immoral. And that's probably the only time I would use that word about anything. Yeah. Is I want to see Fresno take care of its people more. I want to see more of that. I want to see more people getting the help that they need here, you know, for whatever issue that they're facing, whether they're unhoused or, you know, they have drug problems and and things like that and you know I think that I think that would really help kind of you know boost morale to put it very lightly yeah. um, but you know I think I think Fresno has a lot going for it I don't I think that if if people are allowed to to do what they want here it could be a pretty pretty amazing place wonderful yeah, I think there's there's opportunity in, in all of those those areas, right? Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> trials and tribulations of, of a starting a business in a pandemic, you're going from <laughs> professional baking to baking at home to baking in a commissary to uh, doing wholesale to not to, to all of these things. You know, there's I think Allison is an example with Red Room, right? Of mm-hmm. the, the home baker kind of surge in COVID and someone who really has a passion and the, and the gumption to stick with it and mm-hmm. produce a really great product for anybody that sees your croissants or eats those things that just wants to live that life right no matter how hard it can be <clears throat> what advice do you give anybody that wants to get into this because it's hard oh man get some insoles in your shoes <laughs> <laughs> um treat yourself no um you know, I think it just, it's being okay with failure um, because you're going to fail pretty much every day in some way. And, and you know, it's not going to be, you know, life-ending failure, but it, it's a lot of juggling and you're going to drop that and it's learning to be okay with not being perfect at all aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I'm a better baker than I am business owner. 
that stuff does not come natural, I think, to anybody. Um, But, yeah, I'd say just be kind with yourself. It's okay to fuck up a recipe. It's okay to forget to return a phone call or, you know, file your paperwork late. You know, it's all going to be fine. And if you're persistent, which would be my number two suggestion, is to be persistent about what you want, you'll get there. And it will never look perfect. It'll be a very windy road. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just pushing. It's it's pushing to make what you want, to get people to recognize what you're doing and to get them to respond. And I think if you build it, people will come for sure. And I think that this business for me has been a great example of that. Wonderful. So you've just mentioned uh, Frazios Fest just happened. We've got Tower Porch Fest. Uh, that just happened, the whole birthday bash with Spokeasy and the million mm-hmm. other things that are going on in the city. Um, but not just events. What are you looking forward to this summer? Gosh, I'm looking forward to fruit. I am looking forward to all of the fruit that's coming to the market. We have strawberries coming, you know, right. We still have strawberries right now, but soon we're going to have Mendoza Farms back at the farmer's market. Um, and they're my blackberry and raspberry supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, Massimoto Farms, who supplies all my peaches and apricots and nectarines, are they're gonna be? I'm sure they they have stuff coming down the chute in the next couple of months, or at least I hope so. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's probably not the answer people would think. No, but, but, that's... but fruit. I mean, this is peak peak Fresno. This is the probably the best one of the best aspects of living here is the amount of access we have to fresh fruit and vegetables. And this is my favorite season, despite we all know it gets painfully hot for months at a time. But I'm super excited to make some pies. Super excited to make pies, to sell it all, get home, get in the air conditioning, and uh, have a popsicle. <laughs> I mean, that's the best part of summer. <laughs> Makes me feel like a kid. And if, if for you, those of you listening, if you're not going to the farmer's market on a regular basis. I can't encourage it more. Um, you have a, a, a wonderful group of uh, farmers, uh, bakers, other other bakeries, There's, other product makers, honeys. And we just jams got a new mushroom vendor. Cheese and a new mushroom vendor. I got some uh, maitake from her this mm-hmm. weekend. Um, and it's just a great, I mean, it's under the beautiful arbor off of uh, Blackstone and Shaw. Yeah. And it's such a rad place. It's been going for over 40 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's just lovely. It's probably the best way you're going to spend your Saturday morning yeah. or your Wednesday afternoon after work. Um, and all the vendors there are just rad people. I've gotten to know so many farmers, and I have such respect for what they do. I mean, baking is hard, but I would definitely say that farming is much much harder yeah you don't need tractors to bake <laughs> thank god i'd probably be a terrible tractor driver I agree. no uh, but there's you know uh glory with laurel botanicals mm-hmm. who you know i'm lucky enough to call a friend or we're lucky enough to call a friend we got married at her mm-hmm. her property but yeah you can pick up your flowers and your honey and your radishes and whatever and cook yourself a nice little saturday lunch and Go hit up one of the great coffee shops here, like High Top or Fulton Street. And I mean, you can make a really killer weekend here. Summertime is, is going to be great. I, now I'm really excited for 
summer. Not so much the smoke, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> air quality is horrible. Yeah. Well, well uh, you know, at No Life, we're all about encouraging community, and the question's been asked a few times in a few of the episodes now is how do you get out to do that? And I think the farmers market is a perfect example if you're uh, introverted or you don't know where to start in in connecting with your community, right? The community mm-hmm. of Fresno. Um, the farmers market is such a beautiful place to go to to understand where things are coming from and who's providing to the valley yeah Um, yeah a lot of people don't like kids don't know where their food comes from they think it comes from the grocery store and it's like this is a great opportunity to take you know your kids or just to get out and talk to some of the farmers you know when Mm -hmm. it's slow and and understand where they where do they grow you know because you know a lot of them grow mendoza farms is out in watsonville at the coast and to get an idea of where your food comes from and what it takes to grow that and you know, hopefully it's less likely that your your zucchini will get sad and soggy on the bottom of your drawer in your fridge because you're like, oh, shit, I know the person that made this. I better eat it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like this is their their labor, you know, and all the farm workers here, too. You know, you yeah. want to support them and, and keep them employed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it's such a really such a lovely place and. You know, it's affordable, too, which is nice. There's a lot of really expensive places down in L.A. But when I came up here, I was shocked, you know, to see how how reasonable it was and, and how accessible it is for people. And it's more reasonable than grocery stores right now. Yes. It really is. It, oh, my God. I know because prices are nuts right now. Out of control. Yeah. Who can afford an avocado? Yeah. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had an avocado in the house for weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, it's, I think farmer's markets are a really special place. And, and, you know, I was a vendor when I was baked down at the Visalia Farmer's Market. And that place rules too. I know uh, Angie, I believe she's still in charge of it. And, and she's a market manager and she's a rad person. And, you know, they had a band in the mornings that, God, I can't remember their name, but they're a bunch of old men who would play, you know, some little country songs. and Country and classic rock. And yeah, all that. yeah. Yeah. And it was just like super and... quaint and they'd get, you know, kids were down there dancing yeah. and, and it was just super fun. And the nitro bike was there and we'd get coffees and trade with people. And I think that's probably the best part is, is bartering with folks yeah. on, you know, I'll give you a couple morning buns if you can give me your bag of zucchini or, or whatever. Mouse farm's really <laughs> awesome with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, I really can't think of a more lovely place to, to spend your morning at than at a farmer's market just walking around and shooting the shit yep well <laughs> on on that note uh thank you so much for sitting at our kitchen table <laughs> anytime we've, we've been trying to do this for weeks and this is just how we had to make it happen yeah but thank you for sitting here and for you all listening uh, this is palo Verde bakery um at the uh farmer's market at shaw and blackstone a vineyard farmer's market saturdays from seven to sell out. Sell out. Typically around nine, maybe eight thirty nine for sell out. Nine thirty ten. And now on Wednesday afternoons until it gets way too hot in the middle of the summer, right? From yeah. three to six. Yeah, three to six, and uh, I'll probably be there for two, maybe three more months before I take a, a long summer break when it gets crazy. Yeah, I hope to see you guys there. Come say hi. Come yeah. chat. And I'm sure many more, many more pop-ups to come. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. So thank, thank you for joining me. <laughs> it's hard to pin you down sometimes. I, I know. Even when you live with me, it's hard to pin me down. Yeah. And on that note, um, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we'll do our best to link all the delicious places that we've talked about 
uh, in the article. Um, and until next time, have a great evening. Thanks so much. Yeah, take care. This has been a No Life Fresno production, a branding department brand. To learn more about branding department, visit brandingdepartment.com and check out our full blog of No Life Fresno content, including these recordings at nolifefresno.com. Music by Jonathan Lofi.